0: that there are some allowable, legitimate grounds for divorce. Therein logically that means what? There are some unallowable, that's a word, illegitimate grounds for divorce. And if we just look left, left and right, we know that we are surrounded by them all the time and perhaps even at times tempted towards them ourselves. And they begin with buying into some myths. Then those myths need to be called out for what they are, lies. And I want to walk through them quickly with you. Lest any of us fall into them. And perhaps we might even be used by the Lord in His grace and mercy to protect others from falling into these these traps themselves. Here they are. I'm just going to take these in turn. They're not original to me. I'll just tell you. I'll put it this way. If you like S's alliteration, this is Schwartz's take on R.C. Sproul and Ken Sandy. Okay. So I'm kind of culling together the writings of some much wiser men. First, The love has gone out of our marriage, so it's time to get divorced. That's one of the myths. That's how it goes. It's based on some pretty shocking assumptions. One, that you actually have the ability to discern that the love has actually gone out. Two, that it can never come back. And here's another problem. You have founded your understanding of what marriage is all about on your fleeting feelings instead of the bedrock devotion and commitment one to another till death do us part. That's myth number one. Myth number two. You know, it's better for the children. It's better for the children that they should go through a divorce rather than see their parents fight. Now, I will just say this. There are extreme cases where that is possible. But those are so far the exception that I'm going to put the weight of what I'm going to say over here. And that is this. That is almost always a rationalization. A selfish rationalization by the so-called adults in the equation who are not taking the time to consider the, all the studies that have been done that cannot be denied about the impact the divorce has upon the development on children, development of children And a false dilemma. As though this is the only choice that can be made. Stay in the marriage and do harm to the children or get divorced. That's a false choice. There's a third option. Stay in and make it work. That's myth number two. Or if you like, letter B. Myth number three. God led me to it and I'm at peace. My friends... That has God speaking with a forked tongue. He says one thing in his word, but he said one thing to your heart. Really. Your inner peace is no grounds for great guidance. Let me ask you something. How peaceful do you think Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified? He is doing exactly what his father called him to do, and if you will go back and read the text, you will see he was broken and deeply troubled in soul. Inner peace is no great guide. Myth number four: Well, but a loving God would never cause me, call me to suffer in such a situation. What is God's purpose for your life? What is his, really his end game? Is it your happiness? Is it for you to have a good day? Is that really what it's about? I want you to think about this. If you could go back in time and you were called upon to counsel the first century Christians there in the Colosseum as they are being uh, thrown out to the lions, and I don't mean that metaphorically, how would you counsel them? Oh, I'm sorry. God must not be a loving God because he's put you in this situation. Really? There are times, my friends, when God calls us to do things that are completely counter and opposite to our desires. It's myth number four. Myth number five, the last one. But God is forgiving. He'll be okay with this. He'll be compassionate. He'll be merciful for what I do. Oh, my friends, is that not to presume and abuse His grace and His mercy to you? Is it not to presume upon His relationship with you? And I would even go so far as to say this. I think it begs the question as to whether or not there is a relationship. If you are so cold as to take that step. Would you do such a thing to a friend? I know it'll hurt them. I know it'll tear them apart. But they'll forgive me. What would that friend rightly conclude? What would they rightly say? Please hear me. I want to go back to something I said a few moments ago. Every one of these myths, lies, lies, tall tales is forgivable and can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But let's call them what they are. Let's call them for what they are. And know that they had to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Who again came as the fulfillment of the law. And we need to hear and heed what he has to say on these things.
1: As I said earlier
0: in wrapping this up, ultimately this is really not about what we think it's about. Ultimately, predominantly, this is not really about divorce. It is about marriage. God's view of marriage. And I want to end with just asking you to consider two things that are so pressing upon us uh, and why a passage like this is worth our considering today. And the first is the state of things today in our culture. I was reading a survey, a study rather, that was just done based on some surveys. Uh just in the last couple of weeks, the results came out. Increasingly, you need to know this if you don't. Increasingly, our contemporaries in, in the Western world, your co-workers, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, Christianity more and more is seen not just as something irrelevant to society but is bad for it. It's true. That's the mission field in which we live, folks. Wake up. Christianity increasingly is no longer seen as just something that is irrelevant to the culture. It is deemed as something bad and harmful to it. There's great sensitivity, right, understandably, to extremism. And therein guilt by association anyone who is deeply devoted to a cause or a creed or a faith to the exclusion of any others is suspect, you see. Okay, that's where we are. That's where we are. It's where we live. And here's the opportunity before us in where we live. Just as it was in the first century. Just as it was in the first century. For, especially in our context, given that there's so much confusion on the topic of marriage today. For Christians... To live out the Gospel in the context of their marital relationships. And let the watching world wonder about this radical, crazy, otherworldly thing that they are seeing. And they're dying to see. And be drawn to it. Let me read you one case example here. Robertson McQuilkin. I'm reading straight from a quote here from Brian Chappell's book, Each for the Other. Robertson McQuilkin, a leader not only of his home but of the evangelical world was until 1990, president at Columbia Bible College and Seminary, he resigned from the presidency because his wife, Muriel, afflicted with Alzheimer's disease, needed his care. During his last two years as president, McQuilkin wrote that it was increasingly difficult to keep Muriel at home. When she was with him, she was content, but without him, she became distressed and panic-stricken. Though the walk from their home to the school was a mile-round trip, she often tried to follow him to the office seeking Him over and over. She sometimes made the trip ten times a day. When he took her shoes off at night, McQuilkin found her feet bloodied from all the walking. Washing her feet prepared him for what most saw as an even more Christ-like act. Sacrificing his position to care for her. Which he did. Now I ask you, is that extreme? Yes! And beautiful! And that's what the world is wanting to see. To see the gospel take root in people's lives. To see His faithfulness and patience moving into our hearts and moving in our relationships. To see His mercy and forgiveness pouring itself into us and through us. To see people whose security and identity are so secure and locked in and certain that they know they are free to pour themselves out into the sacrificial care one for another without any strings attached. Oh, my friends, the world is waiting to see this, to see something like this. And so I say again, well, fidelity in marriage can be a powerful apologetic. And Jesus has come as the fulfillment of the law. May we hear what He's saying in all this. In all this. Let's pray. Lord, we read from Psalm 19 a little while ago uh, of of the beauty and the effectiveness and the fittedness of Your Word, Your law, Your commands, Your statutes, Your ways, and all parts of it. It's not as though some were tagged as exceptional to that description. So even where it speaks to our wounds and even where it speaks to our hurts and even where it speaks to where it's hard, help us. Lord Jesus, where I have been this morning in in trying to relay this too soft, where I have not pressed hard enough, please bring conviction. And Lord, where I have been too hard and where I have been too stern and, and not balanced with mercy and compassion as You are, please bring healing. You speak with both. You're the only one who speaks perfectly with both. With the gentleness and the strength. With the compassion and the clarity. Or the people that you were speaking to that day had bought into the myths. And so have we. And, and we're in danger of swallowing them whole. We ask that you would set us free to walk and delight in your good ways. So in the name, the holy name, the matchless name of our King we pray. Amen.